Hello and welcome to The Tally Ho, a podcast all about The Prisoner with me, Eason. And me, Bex. And welcome to our second full episode celebrating the 50th anniversary of The Prisoner. In today's episode, we're going to be flashing forward in prisoner mythology to look at one of the reimaginings of The Prisoner, which has taken place in the form of a series of audio dramas produced by Big Finish Productions. Yeah, we've been fans of these since Volume 1 came out last year. They're really well done. Volume 2 has just come out. We've just finished listening to it uh, a couple of weeks ago. They're really good additions to the prisoner mythology. Yeah, so the Big Finish team, if you haven't heard of them, are very well known for producing really good quality audio dramas, often based on uh, classic genre TV shows. So they're very famous for some fantastic productions in the Doctor Who universe. They've done things like, I think there's Sapphire and Steel. Yeah, Blake Seven. Blake Seven. Captain Scarlet they've done recently. Mm -hmm. There's just loads of things. Um, And they're really well put together. They bring together fantastic casts, production teams, sound design, everything. And in the case of The Prisoner, I think, um, and we will touch upon this, not only in this episode, but in some of the other ones we're talking about as well, there have been many attempts to uh, reboot or reimagine the series. Um, it's one of those properties which people, you know, really kind of want to do something with sometimes, and it's it's never really been that successful. I think certainly not to the extent that the original series was. I mean, simply because it's so iconic, that it's very hard to top that. But I think, with no hyperbole, the uh, the big finish productions are absolutely fantastic. They're kind of, you know, it's kind of like having more episodes of The Prisoner that we didn't have before. And they consist of original episodes, which have been written just for this series. There are some direct adaptations of episodes. And then there are also some very loose adaptations yeah. um, where they've, they've taken a, a sort of kernel of an idea from an episode and done something very different with it. Yeah, so we were very lucky to speak to both Nicholas Briggs, who's the kind of showrunner for this whole series. So he's a co-founder of Big Finish Productions, but he's put um, a tremendous amount of work into bringing The Prisoner itself to their audio drama series. And we also had a chat with Ian Meadows, who does the wonderful sound design on The Prisoner as well. Yeah, so we hope you enjoy these two interviews. And if you hadn't had the chance yet to check out the Big Finish audio dramas, we highly recommend them. So uh, we're joined now by actor, writer, director and co-founder of Big Finish Productions, Nicholas Briggs. Hi, Nicholas. Hi, Nick. Hello. How are you? (laughs) Thank you for joining us today. It's a great pleasure. So this is a question that we've been asking everyone and it's been fascinating to to get the different responses. When did you first encounter The Prisoner? I think it was in 1977 when they started showing it late night on uh, ITV, Southern Television, which is the region I lived in. I lived, you know, just outside Southampton. Um, And I've actually told this story many, many times um, with which is that my really first encounter before that was my father spoke to me about it. We used to sail a lot on the Solent, you know, in that little bit of water between Southampton and the Isle of Wight. 
just off the south of the UK for anyone um, not from this country. Um, and uh, whenever we saw a big orange boy, there were quite a few big orange marker boys or buoys, as Americans would say. Uh, and um, my father, when he saw them, he would go, oh, the prisoner. And, you know, and I, and, I, and I asked him what he was talking about, you know, and he said, oh, there's this series that uh, you're too young to watch. Um, and it's this man. And this is this was his explanation, which, of course, he got slightly wrong. Um, there's this man who was trapped on an island and he was chased around by this huge orange ball. You see. And um, it's just very exciting. It's a very weird, weird series. You know, no one quite knows what's going on. And I thought oh, and I remember having an image in my head of a man running around on the Isle of Wight, I think it was, you know, being um, <laughs> chased by a huge orange ball. Now, of course, we all know the reason why he thought the ball was orange is because they say orange alert, but he was watching mm. it in black and white because <laughs> British television was black and white until 1969. Um, although most people didn't get coloured television sets until the early 70s. And we certainly didn't get one until, I can't remember when, but it was... The Deadly Assassin, the Doctor Who story. That was the first Doctor Who story I saw in colour at home. So I'm not sure. Is that 1977? I can't remember. Anyway, I remember the stories. I don't remember the years. Uh, so, yeah, that was my first encounter. So when I, um, a friend of mine, uh, the first ever other Doctor Who fan I ever met, because up until then I thought it was only me. <laughs> Most Doctor Who fans have a similar experience, I think. <laughs> think you're alone in the world yeah and i met this other chap nicholas layton and we always used to talk or see each other after an episode of doctor who and this was one of those occasions where we hadn't seen each other and we both used to audio record doctor who because there were no video recorders in those days no domestic ones anyway obviously and uh he said oh you know did you see this great thing on saturday night that was on late and you know and he started explaining this series to me this first episode and i thought that's that thing my dad told me about. I said, was there a huge orange ball? He said, no, there was a big white ball. I said, no, no, it's orange. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I saw uh, Chimes of Big Ben the next week. I missed, I hadn't, so I didn't see Arrival until, I don't know, until I got a VHS video. Uh, but of course, handily, as we all know, the whole of the explanation of The Prisoner, the beginning of it anyway, the setup is in the starting sequence yeah. because it is possibly the best starting sequence of any show ever made because it dares to be ridiculously long and tell you everything you need to know. <laughs> hardly without voiceover, except for that, you know, the latter bit, you know, where am I? <laughs> so, you know, what was your first response to actually watching the whole series? I mean, it was very different to anything that would have been on yes. at the time, yeah. Well, again, I felt like a bit like I had previously felt about Doctor Who, and I don't know what this says about me, but I, I felt it was like, well, my own secret thing, because it was on late. I think it was like 10.25. And I think my parents had always gone to bed by then. Mm. And so I was there on my own watching this thing. Um, and apart from my friend Nick Layton, you know, no one else seemed to know anything about it. I'd love to know what the viewing figures were for it then, because it seemed like when I spoke to people about it, no, no one knew, you know. It was only people who'd seen it in the 60s said, oh, I, I, I remember that. But I, I just instantly, I mean, I loved all that old ITC stuff, you know. I, I had been, I mean, desperately in a way that's difficult and embarrassing to characterise, desperately in love with... Uh, Randall and Hopkirk and mm. The Champions and Department S. You know, those series, they 
they evoked in me all sorts of because they seemed so slick and even though i wasn't aware of stuff so much like that when i was younger they you know i was getting that you could tell that there was a difference between something that was shot on video and something that was shot on film uh and done in that way you weren't consciously aware of it but you knew you know and there was something very very slick about all that and to me the prisoners seemed to be another one of those but breaking all the rules Mm. doing everything completely differently and it was just bonkers i mean you just didn't know what was going on or why and i found it you know utterly fascinating the the idea of it even more than the detail you know what i mean sometimes some episodes were so confusing for me that i i kind of I could feel myself disengaging, but my love of the sort of whole flavour of it always got me through. I think, you know, I mean, The, the Prisoner is a is a mixed bag, isn't it? <laughs> there are very, very different episodes, with <laughs> clearly very, very different creative impulses behind them. You know, so a lot of it, I'm, I'm not saying anything that anyone has, hasn't said before, but, you know, a lot of it where it's clearly a show about a spy who's been put in some kind of weird debriefing centre. And then other episodes, it's something altogether different, <laughs> you know. So, you know, it ran for 17 episodes. It mm. achieved cult status, but, you know, we're here 50 years on and it's achieved legendary status. It's a, yeah, it's a highly influential show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so many things have sprung out of it in terms of how uh, people dare to do things slightly differently on television and try to play around with things. Um, But one thing that we really wanted to talk to you about as well was the fact that, you know, it was largely left as that original entity on TV. And Mm -hmm. it hasn't really been successfully um, uh, translated beyond that until I think probably what you've done with your reimagining of the series with... Uh, big finish so how did you uh get to the point where you thought it was a series that you wanted to bring into the big finish family and was it an easy thing to do well firstly uh without sounding like some ghastly falsely modest person i am i'm mightily bowled over by you by what you say there when you when you categorize what i've done what we've done and saying you know it hasn't been successfully remade until uh, so that that just that's a lovely thing to uh, you'll get away with anything now because <laughs> putty in your hands um how how did we uh, uh why did i want to do it well for the same thing i want to do anything a big finish because i love it and i i, I was desperate to do this for quite some time and the story goes that it took I don't know, five years uh, to get it sorted out. When I initially went in, it wasn't long after the uh, the remake series, which I think was hated by everybody. I haven't met anyone who says, no, come on, fair dues. It was, a you know. Um, but at that point, of course, uh, it was very much... It's very difficult to talk to ITV about something that had just been broadcast and tell them that you thought it was terrible. Not a good way to start a discussion, <laughs> is it, really? And they said, well, you know, um, if you did something, it would have to be based on that. And I kind of went, well, you're all right. That's fine. I'll, I'll just leave it there. <laughs> uh, and, but I was also talking to them about Thunderbirds. 
I particularly, you know, those were the two things I went in to talk about. And uh, so my conversation continued with them over the years, more or less about Thunderbirds, but quite quickly I was told they were under NDA, non-disclosure agreements, on Thunderbirds. And I said, oh, that means something's happening with Thunderbirds, does it? And they had to say, well, we're under NDA. So so I touched base with them from time to time, usually uh, phoning Giles Ridge, who's now the executive producer, one of the executive producers of Thunderbirds Argo. And uh, then I got talking to a a, a lovely person called Maggie Harris. uh, And uh, she, uh, I was emailing her and she said, I don't know whether this is too much detail, but I might as well tell you, you can always cut it out. (laughs) She she said, "Um, maybe we should have a phone conversation because she was completely, you know, confused by what I was saying, really. So we, we she scheduled a phone conversation with me and I phoned her at half past 10 in the morning or something. And we had this half hour phone conversation during which she asked me several times, sorry, what is it? What is it you want to do? Because I'd explained audio drama and, she, you know, uh, and I kept mentioning the prison and she said, well, I'm not sure about that. But anyway, eventually we had, you know, good conversations and she said, why don't you come in and we'll we'll have a proper talk about it. So I rushed into ITV. ITV Towers and um, it turned out that we couldn't do Thunderbirds and uh, so they which they they were very nice about and said sorry about this you know we just can't not with our new series coming up is there anything else that you'd be interested in because they could see I looked so upset bless them I went well the prisoner they went the prisoner I said you know the other thing I've been talking about for years (laughs) which I think they'd kind of that I think they'd only really noticed the Thunderbird stuff and not the prison stuff. And, I, and they said, oh, we'll, we'll have to check. Do we own the prison? I said, yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> they said, well, we'll have to check whether we absolutely own it or whether there are, you know, bits of it owned by other people and stuff. And then luckily they came back and said, no, no, we do. We do own all of it. Um, and um, yeah, um, OK. Uh, so then I uh, had a creative meeting with them and... Uh, sort of explain to them what the prisoner was i did a little like a powerpoint presentation well keynotes that's the mac version of the internet and um which is very unlike me i'm not usually that organized uh, and uh, and they they seem to you know as as i told them about the prisoner they seem to nod like oh this, this sounds like a really good series we should make a television oh we did you know uh, <laughs> So uh, it, it got agreed very, very quickly. Uh, you know, I'd already done the preliminaries years before with my boss and co-executive producer, Jason Hay-Gallery, and convinced him that, you know, were the rights available, we should do it. And uh, throughout this entire period, you know, germinating in my brain had been an idea of what I might do with it. I'd never really written anything down, but it had, you know, the way I write... Um, I have to sort of think about it a lot. I'd, I'd love to be as clever as uh, the the late, great Brian Clemens. Apparently what he used to do was just think and think and think about an idea. Then he'd sit down at the typewriter and just type it straight through. <laughs> boom, boom. Finished. Done. You know, incredible. He was. I, I met him several times. I know his son. He's a lo- he was a lovely, lovely man. But I'm not quite that good. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> Or good at all, depending on what your listeners think. Um, but I eventually did sort of just present them ITV with with my plan of what what I was going to do with the prisoner, 
And uh, sorry, I've just received a message that's really pinged loudly in my head. <laughs> I feel like some kind of mind control from number two. <laughs> yes, I will tell you everything. Um, yeah, so that's what I did. And uh, I don't know whether I've got anywhere near answering your question. <laughs> so did you have any particular episodes with The Prisoner in Mind right from the beginning that you definitely wanted to have an adaptation of, of that one and that one? Yeah, Chimes of Big Ben, because it was the first episode I ever saw. Um, so definitely wanted to do that. And then I just thought about my... Uh, but I knew I would have to do a version of Arrival uh, for a beginning. And um, uh, yeah, the ones I did in the first box set, Schizoid Man. Yeah, that, those were the three, weren't they? And then mm. I did uh, uh, my own strange one. Yeah, um, but I still have... I've, I'm nearly at the end of my list of ones I want to do. I think for the third series, which there's going to be, whether anyone at Big Finish likes it or not, I'm just <laughs> going to do it, um, unless, they, unless they physically restrain me. Uh, I th you know, I'm fascinated to do Free For All and The Girl Who Was Deaf. Yeah. Um, I can't remember. That's... I don't think I've got I've I've written my uh, my list of things I'm going to do but people people keep telling me they want more that is not adapted. Yeah. So um I I may do just two adapted ones but as you may know from listening my adaptations are are so broad yeah. as yeah. to virtually not be anything to do with the original episode <laughs> there's a sort of germ of an idea yeah. and then i think well what could i do with that idea flip it around you know look at it in a different way now um with all we've learned about the stories and also just not to uh, i mean you know we can watch the original the original is superb and delightful and there's no point just doing that do something different have a riff on it get you know for all of us who've lived with those episodes for so many years to uh riff on a theme really and i i don't know why that's a good idea but uh, i thought it was a good idea and luckily so did quite a few other people <laughs> i mean I, as as i've said a million times before and it's almost not worth repeating because it's a negative thing but you know when we announced we were doing it Usually when we announce we're doing something at Big Finish, we get a lot of positivity. But this received the most negative response we'd ever received for anything. And quite rightly, really, because, you know, there's 17 episodes that prisoner aficionados feel quite rightly that they kind of own, you know, uh, followings for TV series. And, you know, I count myself amongst this, particularly with Doctor Who. You do take ownership of the thing that you've loved and that has maybe been discarded in the past by those that created it you know that's it's a real pain in the neck for people who who make tv shows because <laughs> they think well we're making it it's ours and you think mm, yes of course it is but you've got to take into account that uh people took ownership of doctor who when no one loved it at the bbc and likewise the prisoner i mean only 17 episodes you know uh, of course fans take ownership of it so quite rightly they'd be suspicious and as I've said many times before I, had I not been the person reimagining it I would have been just as suspicious and thought oh come on leave it alone leave it alone but anyway so I did this illogical thing that in any proper grown up company I would never have been allowed to do <laughs> I just did my thing and that's one of the privileges of being an executive producer at Big Finish you know 
largely I'm here because I'm trusted because I haven't messed up and I've done lots of popular stuff. So they they sort of think I know what I'm doing, as indeed do I sort of think that. <laughs> so I just got got the chance to let my imagination run wild. And I think that in many ways, that's what the prisoner's all about, you know, no limits. So, so you've had, um, as you were saying, you know, relatively relatively close adaptations of certain stories so arrival for example you've mm. uh you have riffed on them a little bit with um like the schizoid man but then like in volume one at least you know we have your beautiful village which is you know it's a wonderful episode of the prisoner just generally and i and i'm just wondering Thank so you. how did you come to come up with a story that really um is so in keeping with the original series, but is completely unique. I mean, like you say, the pressure from prisoner fans who are, who can be very fickle with adaptations uh, must yeah. be extremely high. Well, it's not so much fickle. You know, you're treading on hallowed ground, really. <laughs> <laughs> you know, their favourite thing, all set out neatly, and then you come trampling over it. Yeah, that can cause. Uh, <laughs> I came up with it because I wanted to do an episode that was um, uh, could only be done on audio. Mm. I thought I just wanted to try that, you know, so that uh, the original thing I I did, you couldn't ever sort of say, well, if they'd done it on television, they would have done it, you know, better than that. But it couldn't have been on television yeah. because the screen would have been blank the whole time, apart from right at the end. <laughs> uh, although, you know, wouldn't that have been fun? <laughs> that past Patrick McGowan, actually. <laughs> Imagine them saying, you know, uh, oh, hold on a sec, you're going off to film Ice Station Zebra. I tell you what, we'll do an, ep- it's, it's, we'll do an episode where I don't appear, but I can just record the voice afterwards. You know? <laughs> and then after that, you know, I just... Um, after I came up with that central conceit that they they were to, able to mess with his perception so that he couldn't see anything, mm. um, uh, and 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 also I, I wanted it to be uncomfortable to listen to. I wanted uh, you know there's that section in the middle where I um, where you know he's just about come to terms with he can't with not being able to see anything and then suddenly his hearing starts to go. And right from childhood, you know, when I first heard that there were people who could not see or hear, it sort of haunted me like a a, a terror, really. And I see it in my young eight-year-old son. He, he says, oh, you know, um, what would you rather be, blind or deaf? You know, children say terrible things like this. And then... And I said, well, imagine if you were both. That's really nice of me to say that, isn't it? And he... <laughs> and you could see the look of horror. And I, I haven't overcome that horror of that and that... And I, uh, you know, and that would be the ultimate, well, one of the ultimate cruelties you could uh, subject someone to. And I, I did deliberately put, you know, when it fight, when his voice is muffled, and poor Mark Elstop playing it in the studio, screaming his head off, uh, and and it's just so quiet in in the finished edit, and then there's nothing, and I I put a note in the script for it to be silent for I don't know seven seconds or something, because you know I said I want people. Uh, to think that there's something wrong with their computer or their CD player. I want them to think about, yeah, I want them to get that moment of, oh, nothing, there's nothing, you know. <laughs> Sorry, I sounded like a Muppet then. <laughs> oh, nothing, mm, nothing, oh, yes. Um, yeah, that's what I wanted to do, really. I mean, The Prisoner does give you an opportunity to just go a bit crazy. 
And that I think the way I write it is that I go crazy, but there's that logical because I'm very into things making sense in everything else I write. Everything has to be. I get very cross about scripts that don't tie up. But in a way, the prisoner, you have license to do that. So it's the it's the battle between those two instincts to go crazy and to make everything make sense. That the battle between those two instincts in me that out of that battle comes whatever I write for the prisoner. What was it like um, taking a show that has very distinct visuals to it, very famous visuals, and turning that into a medium where you couldn't use those in terms of telling the story? That never troubles me because, uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, we I used to audio record Doctor Who. And my biggest experience of Doctor Who in the old days was to hear it because, of course, I would listen to it over and over again. So it became something that I was very, very used to hearing. Likewise, you will not be surprised to hear that I recorded The Prisoner as well. (laughs) So I was very, very used to hearing The Prisoner, even though, of course, you're aware of its stunning visual properties. But that's I think you can do anything on audio, you know, so that didn't trouble me. Because I think that uh, in, if I hadn't have had that experience as a youngster, I think it would have troubled me and it would have defeated me and I would have never have gone near it. But it's because of that odd quirk of fate. Or, you know, almost everything I've done in my professional life that has made me feel creatively fulfilled and, you know, soaring to the sky has been reproducing whatever this will sound weird whatever strange stuff i did in my bedroom (laughs) when i I was a youngster and a teenager you know i mean my mother said to me when i got the gig as voice of the daleks and things my life changed really completely she said well all those weird noises coming from your room it's finally all paid off hasn't it (laughs) you know she's still sort of quite disapproving of it i think uh and likewise the whole prisoner thing you know I used to spend ages listening to it over and over again and comparing the voices of the different number twos and, you know, only latterly realising that there was a sort of placeholder number two voice in the starting sequence when, for whatever reason, and I really don't know the reason, but for whatever reason, they didn't get the number two from that episode to do that <laughs> introduction. I, 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 Yeah, I kept thinking, well, who is that bloke and why isn't he in it? <laughs> When you were deciding how to kind of update the technology that's within the series, because in the original series you had this remarkable technological landscape in the village where it wasn't the technology of the 60s, but it also doesn't feel like a dated 1960s idea of what future technology would be. It's something else entirely. And when you were deciding how to bring that forward, so for example with the kind of three-dimensional renderings that they're able to kind of put around people and things like that and Mm. and the and the cloned people who seem to operate various parts of the village how did you go about choosing what to update um well i just thought this is a different perspective because i wanted to set it in the 60s Mm. so i just thought there's a different vibe i wanted to do whereas in the 60s it was oh look at all this strange futuristic stuff Mm. i wanted to because most of the technology that I have in the village is technology that's possible for us today. Uh, there's some crazy stuff, of course, uh, as well, you know, sort of hypnotizing things. And, um, but, you know, and and of course, we don't actually have clones. We, we may have cloned some sheep or whatever. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, I wanted to. I just wanted to do that. I wanted us to be looking back at the sixties person and have, dare I say, it, a little giggle at his confusion at things that we think are, um, uh, are you know, they're normal to us. Uh, you know, they're clearly all using something like iPads and iPhones, aren't they? Mm. Um, I don't know why that seemed like an interesting thing to do. It's a different perspective. It's a reinterpretation of the, the... We're not just doing the, oh, it's future technology. We're saying, well, actually, this is our technology and we're looking at someone getting very confused by it. And it gives you a different perspective. It makes you more sympathetic to him in a way, really. Um, it's interesting also during the recordings, I have uh, some smart sound engineers pick me up on certain things about saying, oh, why doesn't he, is he stupid or something? I say, no, no, he's from the 1960s. <laughs> there was, what was there? There was some, there was a reference to some scientific thing that's very, very much in our minds all the time. Now, I can't remember exactly what it was. And the, and the sound engineer said to me, that's not right, surely. And I said, yeah, but you forget people only knew about, it might have been cloning. I don't know. I don't think people, you know, obviously cloning was known of as a thing in the 60s, but it was, people didn't talk about it. People didn't start talking about it until the 80s, really. You forget that so much that's commonplace as concepts in our life now, you know, weren't around in the 1960s. So yeah, that that was my essential way of essentially the way i chose it yeah do you think that that adds to the uh you know it's the timeless aspect of the things that prisoner was really talking about i mean all those same ideas they seem as fresh and potentially just as relevant you know now if not more relevant now than they were back in the 60s well yes <laughs> I agree with you. Uh, it does. Um, it's just, you can do anything. I mean, I'm going to have great fun with free for all mm. and the things that have happened in elections recently. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, I think it is because I think it is all relevant. It seems tiresome to say it, it seems like a sort of, you know, truism, but they, because there's such a sort of a kind of blank canvas in the prisoner for you to be able to do anything that you know the the regime there will literally do anything to number six to achieve their ends but you don't even really know what the ends are <laughs> that, that's that's the crazy thing you know i've just written a little 20 minute live prisoner drama that's going to be uh are you going to the no convention? no we're not but we've heard your yes um you and mark elster will be doing a a live yeah. performance at the 50th anniversary celebrations. Yes, uh, with Nicholas Grace yeah. playing number two. Oh wow! And uh, and uh, it'll be like a live radio thing. They'll be reading it, but they've had it for a few weeks. As so, I've got a funny feeling Mark Elstob might learn it. He's just that kind of actor. <laughs> Nic Nicholas Grace will be appalled by his industry. Um, uh, and in that, you know, I've I've um, uh, played more with uh, topical references, really. Yeah. I'll say no more. I better not spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's called Time is Free. I think that's what it's called. Yes. Isn't it terrible? I can't remember things like that. I'm so... <laughs> it's doing so many things at once. Yeah. Have you got any plans to do any more live things like that? Uh, no, um, but uh, I would love to. I mean, there's this thing, isn't there, that, you know, musicians can't make so much money out of selling their music as downloads 
um because well, you know people nick stuff um <laughs> And downloads are very, very cheap and people don't buy records or CDs so much anymore. Although, obviously, there's the burgeoning vinyl thing. Oh, we could do a vinyl prisoner, couldn't we? <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I hadn't thought of it. Maybe we could perform that play at a big finish day or something like that, couldn't we? Given that you have so many wonderful properties that you're able to turn into, you know, great audio dramas. I mean, you know, is there ever going to be a situation where you might think of doing, you know, a one, two day sort of, big finish con where you could put these things on yeah um we're certainly talking about stuff like that for our 20th anniversary uh uh, well but you know there's an issue with performing something live that's a you know a franchise owned by someone else because we have a license to do audio drama not a license to do a stage play that's a whole other thing but yeah maybe present i mean certainly for example the bbc are happy with us happy for us to do um demonstrations of what we do uh so it could fall into that category but yeah i would love us to do but i would love us to do that kind of live performance thing but it is also a whole other job to do you you know and and we have done demonstration things where we do them sort of a bit off the cuff with minimal planning because when you plan these things it takes loads and loads of time uh to do it properly but when you do it off the cuff it falls apart a bit but you have to make it about that you have to make it a chaotic thing cue the sound effect cue the sound effect that doesn't happen you know so what we've done in the past with Doctor Who stuff is we've got members of the audience up to play parts and uh, and, and press buttons and make noises and things and of course it all goes terribly wrong and I'm a little bit like Bruce Forsyth you know in the generation game when he used to when they used to get people on to and one of their things was to recreate a drama wasn't it and they had the lines written on bits of furniture he's going no 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 come on come on get it right you know and so I, I become as irritating as the, the dear dearly you know late lamented Bruce Forsyth <laughs> perhaps we should have a number two who's like Bruce Forsyth <laughs> oh, that would be telling <laughs> oh, um, we discussed you know how you've thought about translating um, The Prisoner to an audio format one thing that we've been mm. really impressed by is both the music and the sound design of these things. I mean, it's incredible to listen to. So at what point do they become part of the episodes? Because, you know, is it, you know, is this something that's integrated very early on in, you know, even in the script writing stage, what you're planning to do? Or is this part of the, of the big finish machine? Because you've been doing it for so long, you just know how to put these things together. It's both. And yet neither. No, that bit isn't true. Uh, It is both. Uh, it's come to my attention that of all the people who write for Big Finish, I am possibly the most detailed in my script about stuff to do with sound design. A, a, a great colleague of mine, Scott Hancock, who works a lot for Big Finish, said to me, I wrote a script for something he was producing. Uh, it was the War Master. And, and when he read my script, he paid me the enormous compliment uh, where he said, my God, he said, you don't leave anything to chance, do you? <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He said, well, it's really clear what's going on. I said, isn't that my job to write? And he said, no, but I mean, you make sure, don't you? You you make sure that everyone knows exactly what needs to be done. I can't think of any other writer of a big finish who does who puts notes about music. I don't put all the music cues, but if I think the music thing is important, I will I will, especially with the prisoner. I've gone even further with the prisoner, and uh, I've 
I write there where I think the cue should start and I put a little description of what it should be. I, th I say this should be a reprise of the theme. This should be something that's really spooky and weird and atonal. And I, I do put that and I'm very prescriptive with my sound design notes as well. So yes, it's very much there in the script because I also think it helps actors. Um, you know, if they know, if I put sinister music just before they start to speak it gives them a little bit of a hint some actors some actors just don't read that stuff they just read their lines and it doesn't matter what else is written in the script including other people's lines but luckily you know i think mark elstob is a sort of he does nothing escapes mark's atten attention he is so incredibly detailed i mean he it's it was like he'd learnt it the first couple of episodes he did and i heard him pacing up up and down outside the studio murmuring it to himself the way actors do when they've learned scripts you know um but yeah and then it comes to the uh, uh the post-production phase and i had a lot of discussions with ian meadows who does the sound design who is brilliant at it and loves the prison it was the first thing he'd done for big finish and for him to be asked to do the prisoner he was just saying well this is amazing and he hasn't stopped being you know paying us the great compliment of being grateful uh, for doing the work and very keen to get everything right discussing all the details with me Jamie Robertson was one of our best composers and uh, he didn't really know the prisoner but Jamie has uh, an incredible ear it's right in the middle of his forehead no uh, <laughs> he has an, has an incredible ear for different genres of music and he had a couple of goes at it that weren't quite right but the thing about Jamie is that once he gets in the groove of something he has got it and he flies and he said to me, he said, oh, it's kind of like uh, 60s pop crossed with big band, isn't it? That's sort of that's that's what made sense to him. And it and it's it's perfect because I said to him, you know, have a listen to The Prisoner, because I want it to sound like it's the same band playing it. You know, it's the same group of musicians doing it. It's just different tunes, but it's a sort of alternative version of the same thing. And um you know, he gets a few notes from me about it, but we're both on the same wavelength. All three of us are. I think Jamie did a little bit of the sound design in the first series because of time commitments for Ian. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's all very much part of it, and it really sprang to life. I shed a few tears of, of joy and nostalgia when, when it was coming together, when I was hearing the edits. You know, um, I get very over-emotional about things when they seem just right and this came together in a way that i'd dreamed of i found it moving i i love what jamie's done and i know that there's there's at least one person on facebook who every time i post something about the prisoner says you yeah, know it's a shame the theme wasn't in it the original wrong grain of thing every time just says that <laughs> and every time i explain it, it's like people say oh yes i believe it's because they couldn't get the rights or it was too expensive none of those things are true you know we we pay for theme tunes we pay for the doctor who theme we we do that at big finish it was a conscious decision not to have that thing it would have been easier in a way just mm. to do that but i just thought it's not what i'm doing I don't want to... I also don't want to say, oh, these episodes fit in around the original yeah. ones. That's what we're doing with Doctor Who. It's the original actors, largely. And we're saying, these fit in. This doesn't fit in. This is a reimagining. And somehow, for me, to do, have the same theme tune would have been a little bit presumptuous. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would have loved to have it. But, uh, uh, but I think it's creatively wrong for what, what I'm trying to do. Uh, wrong, would, be, would have been wrong of me to do that. 
And what Jamie came up with was such a flavour of it that some reviewers haven't even noticed that it is a different tune. <laughs> you know, uh, and certainly uh, um, Rick Davey of The Unmutual has said to me, he said, the thing is, when I listen to your uh, Prisoner theme, he said, I can't remember the original yeah. after I've heard yours. Which is a great compliment to Jamie. But Jamie is the theme tune guy at Big Finish. He comes up with the best theme tunes. And he comes up with them so quickly. You give him a challenge and he says, oh, and then 20 minutes later, you get a rough version, which is more or less there. He's just got that knack of a catchy tune. I'm, I'm very, I always feel very lucky when, when I, you know, I'm working with such talented people. It's great. Yeah. And certainly I think, um, you know, in volume two, it really, it really ramps up. I mean, some of the stuff that is done, I mean, I think most notably, I think in, in Living in Harmony, the sound in that is just oh, incredible. Yeah. Yes. Um, and that one, Living in Harmony, is... I was very nervous about that one. <laughs> the editor of uh, SFB did make some comment, comment to me about what I should do next. And he did mention something a bit like that. So I'd, when I decided to do Living in Harmony, set on a moon base... Mm. He, uh, I did contact him and say, look, are you okay with me doing this or are you going to scream from the rooftops? That was my idea and you've stolen it. Uh, and he went, no, 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 it's fine. He was very, Paul Simpson was lovely about it. And uh, and it's it's largely not what he suggested, but the, the germ of it is a conversation I had with him. And yeah, and so to make that work, uh, ev everything had to really be perfect. And... Um, Ian did a fantastic job with that. And likewise, Jamie, you know, getting that sort of... Well, and I said to him, you know, you've got to make the theme tune sound a little bit like the theme tune of UFO. That was in the script, actually. <laughs> I actually put that in. You can see that in the script. It says a UFO mashup, I think. Or maybe I took that out for copyright reasons. <laughs> <laughs> One thing, again, it's, ex you know, a McGowan's performance, extremely iconic. Mm. And... I just want to know how you managed to find Mark Elstob as the perfect fit for number six. Was he your first wow. choice or? He was the first idea I had when I suddenly thought, oh my God, that is probably going to be it. I had had several ideas and I was not thinking of getting someone who sounded anything like Patrick McGowan. Mm. Because as many people, I mean, uh, Tim Beddows of um, Network uh, you know who released the DVDs he's still not heard it he's very suspicious he's a massive prisoner fan but he's not having it really uh, and he said I oh, hear you've got some bloke just impersonating Patrick McGowan in this. and I went well he's not really well that's what I've heard you know and I think that yeah to say oh he sounds like Patrick McGowan I think for a lot of people would probably be a bit of a turn off but yeah I investigated one very famous person who uh, was not going to be in the country uh, that thanked me for thinking of him and said, oh, it would have been lovely. But so, And then I investigated another person who wasn't famous, but who, this is the first time I've said any of this, by the way, wasn't famous, but had a, had a big uh, uh, TV track record and pedigree. Um, and I actually had a meeting with him, but uh, he was a bit too cool for school. You know, he, he had no love for it i wanted someone who who would go 
I love the prisoner. Please let me do it. You know, because then I thought I can I can spend days in the studio with those that person. And then I sort of wrapped my brains and I started thinking along the lines of surely I must know someone who's a good actor and who loves the prisoner. I must know someone. And then I suddenly thought, oh, hold on a sec. Mark Elstob, I'd done I'd been on a tour a theatre tour with him, you know, 20 years ago and had bumped into him two years previously on a train. (laughs) And Mark and I had nothing in common when we worked together and he was one of the stars of the show and I was a lowly acting ASM. But we were both Doctor Who fans. And that meant, you know, on the six months of the tour, we always had an opening gambit for a conversation. Doctor Who fans, you know, even if you're just not alike at all as people, you have that you can always talk about Doctor Who. When push comes to shove, you can say, well, Patrick Chance is my favourite. You know, and off you go. You know, oh, well, I don't know. You know, I thought that TARDIS was... Uh, I didn't like the paint job on that one. You know, <laughs> it's just all that nonsense you can you can do. And so Mark and I had had uh, uh, had been acquaintances with, with a bit in common. And so when I bumped into him on the train, you know, he said, well, of course, I'm, I'm well aware of you and everything you've achieved with Big Finish. And I said, oh, well, that's brilliant. And I said, well, you give me your details. We must get you in to do something. I think I might have given him my email address. And then he emailed me, you know, and, uh, and as he says now, and which he promptly ignored and didn't get in touch with me, you know. Um, but I suddenly thought that back to that. And I thought, blimey, if he liked Doctor Who, I bet I bet he likes The Prisoner as well. Yeah. So I got in touch with his agent, but he was busy. He was overseas doing theatre, and uh, but then I was ch- and she said no, he's busy. The end. <laughs> I found out where the theatre was. I emailed the theatre and said, "Look, can I just ask?" Is, can Mark Elstom speak to me? And he got in touch with me. He said, no, my agent's right. I am I am busy. And, you know, I'd love to come and be in the prisoner and everything. But, you know, and I said, oh, it's just a shame. I think you would have made a really good number six. And he went, number six, uh, you say. <laughs> uh, and then he said, and then he realized because the agent had just said, do you want to do an audio for Big Finish, the prisoner? And he'd naturally assumed that he was going to play the taxi driver or something, you know. <laughs> And uh, so suddenly he went, I, mm, hold on, we might be able to make this work. <laughs> you know, and it, he was doing theatre up in Scotland by the time we were recording. And so he would have to travel on, on uh, we, we could only record on Sundays because of it. So he would travel uh, on the overnight train on Saturday night and then immediately leave on the Sunday afternoon after he'd finished. So it was, you know... So I found found my person who loved it. And I and he said, do you want me to do a Magoo voice? And I said, well, no, no, no. And, I, and talking to him again, because I took him out for lunch, I said, I don't need to audition you because I know you're an astounding actor. And he's a really good actor. Uh, and talking to him, I just thought, I said, you don't sound that unlike him, actually. And he, I said, so I don't think it'll take much. I don't, you know, and it isn't. It didn't. If you put the two voices next to each other, they're 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 not alike. But he does something that suggests it. Mm. That's not a million miles away from it, and it's just enough, I think, to to make us feel at home. He has it's he plays the character very differently, actually. I would say, uh, and the character's written slightly differently, but there's enough of it yeah. for us to to feel that there's a degree of authenticity in my funny little reimagining <laughs> yeah it does um it feels uh like it 
you know it does it does reflect the original performance it certainly um it feels like the original show but also it hmm. still retains something that's extremely fresh it feels like you're watching something different and so it kind of draws you in because it doesn't seem so far away that it's hard to connect with it um but it is wonderful how um i think i think his performance in it is just it's just fantastic I and mean, i can't imagine anyone else doing something because like you say it's not exactly the same as mcguin but it mm. um there's enough there that makes you feel like you're watching you know an alternate iteration of the prisoner i think yeah yeah i i um and he's he's just so brilliant to work with you know he's so he brings so much to it he's so diligent and the, can I say my favourite thing about your comments there is that you kept talking about watching it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you think you've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, you know, uh, that's what I hope good audio drama does. It brings images to life in your mind. Yeah. And you, when you think back to it, you think that's what I do when I've listened to some, something I really like, some audio drama. I think I've seen it. It's great, isn't it? <laughs> So thank you, Nick, for joining us. It's been great talking to you about The Prisoner. Yeah, it's been great fun. If people want to get hold of the CD box sets from Season 1 and Season 2, uh, where's the best mm. place for them to go? Uh, the best place, I would say, is to come to bigfinish.com, where you can buy uh, direct from us. Uh, if you, you can buy downloads of it, or you can buy a CD box set. Um, if you buy the CD box set, you get access to the downloads automatically for no extra charge um, and available with the box set and the C and the downloads uh, a whole load of uh, there's extra supplementary material you'll find when you go to download the episodes and there's a phenomenal amount of it for the prisoner much more than we uh, normally do because I've just gone crazy uh, and uh, so you can get all the scripts you get PDFs of the scripts you get all the music every individual track of music everything's there normally we just do a suite but you get everything and also I mean there there's an additional disc and download of a documentary all about the making of it with interviews with everybody but there's an additional there are additional documentaries on each of volume one and volume two releases that are only available direct through big finish as a download so it's always best to come direct to big finish i think because you get access to that extra material also it's you know we we don't get a budget to make this stuff from someone else we are only able to make it because of the money that's paid for the cd or the download so uh if you buy direct from us that that means more of your money is coming to us and paying for production of maybe future episodes of The Prisoner, folks, he says. It sounds a bit like a Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> we heartily recommend that everyone listening goes out and uh, gets their hands on a copy of The Prisoner audio dramas, currently Volume 1 and Volume 2, and hopefully, fingers crossed, Volume 3 at some point. That's my plan. <laughs> <laughs> and with that... Uh, Nick, we'd like to wish you a happy 50th anniversary of The Prisoner and say, be seeing you. Be seeing you too. We're joined now by Ian Meadows, who is the sound designer on the Big Finish audio drama version of The Prisoner. Hello, Ian. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. How long have you been a fan of the original The Prisoner? 
Right, this would take me back to 1993. Now, there's an interesting story, and I have told it before, but um, I used to live in a student house, uh, and one day a guy called Chris, and I can't for the life of me remember Chris's surname, but um, he brought back a, a VHS of something called The Prisoner. And, and I kind of heard about the show, but I'd never watched it. And he said, oh, let, got to watch this. It's brilliant. And I was like, no, nah, I don't think so. And he said, look, watch one episode with me. If you don't like it, we'll go down the pub and the beers are on me. So he put the first episode on. And as soon as it ended, I said, so uh, is there another episode? So we watched <laughs> the second episode because there's only two episodes per VHS. And then I ended up buying the beers. <laughs> um, down the pub afterwards but um then luckily as luck would have it channel four was showing the prisoner and this was about 1993 then and so i sat down watched it and i, I was just blown away so that's where my my love affair with the prisoner started so that's what so maybe 25 nearly 30 years ago now and were those uh, two episodes you originally watched, the first two in the series, or were they two random ones? No, they were the first two. So it was uh, it was Arrival. And mm. uh, I can't remember, because they keep changing the order sometimes yeah. in which they're put out. I can't remember what the second one was, but, um, but certainly I remember Arrival vividly and just being uh, quite amazed by what I was watching. You know, really drew me in. What was it that gripped you when you first uh, saw it? Do you know, it seems it seems a funny thing to say... But it, I mean, maybe it's not because I've heard other people say it. it's it's kind of that alienation, isn't it? It's that that righteous anger that number six has. And I think it's the fact that we can, especially when you're younger, um, you sort of you want to retain your individuality and you see yourself almost being sucked into a world where everything is conformity because, you know, so you go to university or, you know, you're in an environment where you can think freely and, and suddenly you can reinvent yourself. And then you go out into the world of work and you see so many people ground down by this, this pressure to conform. I mean, and it's, it, it's kind of that battle. You've always got that battle against yourself as well to try and remain individualistic. And I think that's, that's one of the, the basic things that, that drew me in. But I loved the fact that number six was so arsy just you know railing against it all and I thought yeah that is I mean that's how that's it's almost like Michael Douglas in falling down it's <laughs> it's you know it's that kind of righteous anger you know that you should be made to try to conform to do all these things that you know you don't necessarily want to do so yeah that, I, that's a big part of it for me not that I am as extreme as number six but I'd like to think that I've still got some individuality. So we flash forward uh, and all of a sudden you're the sound designer on the wonderful uh, Big Finish audio drama version of The Prisoner. How did that come about? Well, um, I think Nick and I had sort of been flirting with each other uh, on email. You know, um, funnily enough, Nick probably won't remember this, but uh, when he was obviously he's the voice of the Daleks. And so I was um, I had a, an afternoon show. And when we were sort of like going big on, on Doctor Who and we got him on for an interview. So I was and he did the Dalek thing. So I was very aware of what Nick did. Um, and I'd sort of been doing sound design and uh produced a series uh, an, an alternative version of robin hood and it was 
through that and the fact that we met at the BBC Audio Awards that I think um, brought us together. And then Nick, we were having a chat and he said, oh, you know, thinking of doing The, the Prisoner and would you uh, would you be up for sound designing it? And I was like, yeah, bite your <laughs> arm off to do that. Um, and that, yeah, that was the first, that was the first job I, I got for Big Finish because you know, he asked and what an absolute honour. What a, what a dream job to start off with. Just um, amazing and scary as well, because because you're dealing with, with something which is really precious, not only to, to you, but, you know, to, to everybody who's going to be listening to, you know, to, to fans. And I know that, um, you know, a lot of people, they were quite negative when it was announced that the, the prisoner was going to audio. But that's that's basically how I got the gig. What part of the process do you sort of come in on? Do you get a complete script that's got a lot of information in there about sound already and then go from there? Well, I usually get um, I usually get the scripts. Well, it depends, really. I mean, the first time, the first box set, I got the scripts before they went into the studio and I actually popped along to a couple of the sessions. Uh, so I was watching how it was going and... Um, you know that's that's always useful i think um especially we, i think we did the schizoid man and um it was six against six and uh mark i think it was jeremy who was doing the uh voicing number six as well i mean they were having a magooing off so it was really <laughs> difficult to tell and even now when i listen back to those files it was really difficult to tell who was whom you know i mean they were really so good i mean mark is brilliant anyway but you know he was really be given given a run for his money on that day so that was kind of useful um this second series i didn't make it to the sound sessions so i got the scripts and normally i mean nick's really quite specific about what he what he wants but not so specific that you're you're constrained so you got enough to sort of bring your own creativity to the party um and that's one of the great things about nick he just will he will write stuff and then you can interpret it and then you know he'll either say yes or you know no that needs a bit more work but um that's that's normally the way it goes you know sometimes i mean i think we got the scripts when i got the sessions through as well so i was kind of reading as i was going along there are a couple of episodes in particular I wanted to ask about. Um, one was Your Beautiful Village, which is such an interesting story because it's a story that can only be told through the medium of audio, uh, in a way. It's not something that you could have done on television. Um, and what that was like to work on. And the other one was uh, Living in Harmony and how remarkable that, that sounds, given the, the location. Don't want to spoil too much for anyone who hasn't gone to listen to them yet because you Everyone listening should definitely go out and listen to them. But uh, what were those two episodes in particular like? So were, were there any particular challenges on them? Well, I have a confession to make. Uh, Your Beautiful Village was one that Jamie actually sound designed. So um, I can't really... Well, I've listened to the episode and I think that Jamie did... Because, I mean, Jamie does all the music and, and for the first set, I designed sound designed three and he did one. And I think we were both quite up against it at the time. So we, we split duties. But Jamie, um, he did the music and I did the sound design for the second set. But listening to what he did, um, I mean, Jamie's just, I mean, Jamie's a brilliant sound designer and a fantastic mu musician. And actually, when we, 
I'll talk about Living in Harmony at the moment. And when I heard what he'd done with the theme and the remix that he's done without giving too much away, I mean, that is just incredible. What, I mean, what a brilliant bit of a bit of work. But listening to what Jamie has done on Your Beautiful Village, um, it's, uh, it's a solid, brilliant piece of work. Um, but I can't really speak too much about it. You'd, you'd need to really sort of go and, and speak to him. And I don't want to take credit for, for you know something that I didn't do. But Living in Harmony, Living in Harmony was, uh, was interesting. Now, when I looked at that, I thought, well, this is, this is going to be fun because it's just pure science fiction. Um, one of the challenges was, I suppose, coming up with a travel tube because I, I wanted... I had that sort of sound in mind. I suppose to a degree I had a sort of sound, you know, like Space 1999 used to have the, the travel pod that used to go to the Eagles. I thought that I wanted a sound like that. So one of the challenges was actually working with my Hoover. So working <laughs> with my vacuum cleaner to sort of to, to get a, a bass sound that I could then manipulate. But the rest of it was just having so much fun. It was just going through and coming up with something that was pure science science fiction i mean i don't think we're giving anything away by saying that but uh, if anybody hasn't listened they should they should go and listen it kind of leads on to another point which is the original prisoner series was such a visual show it had some very famous iconic images in it and yet what you've managed to do with the whole big finish team i suppose is put together these very rich audio dramas that really feel like you're watching newly reimagined episodes um, even though you're just listening to them which makes the sound design and the music as well uh, seem like a really integral part of it but also a very challenging thing to do to convey um, such a you know a strongly visual show in an audio medium so so what are the you know what have been the big challenges in creating the the ambiance and the and the feel of the prisoner but using a purely audio medium well, I think that comes down to Nick, actually. A lot, a lot of the credit has to go to, to Nick and the way that he writes his scripts and the way that he sets out a vision that you can then interpret. Um, the acting, I mean, the cast is just incredible and they make it, they make it very, very easy. For example, um, I met a man today. There's, there's a scene where there's the, uh, the two of them inside the pub so Six and Kate uh, are sitting and having a drink. And they did a, an awful lot of work uh, to to fill in the gaps, if you like, so you can then come along and, and, and design the sound around it. I mean, there aren't... I think the only, the only thing you've got to worry about is your own limitations. I think you have to sort of... You do have to think slightly outside, outside the box, but... It, if you can make it as natural as possible and you th- you think about what's going on in the scene then i think you're you're sort of on the right lines um but re- i mean most of the time it's just about having fun and just you know imagining what those people would be doing in that situation and and placing your sound accordingly um i mean there there have been some i suppose some challenges more than others like there's there's an episode where you need to go inside a rover and that took a little, <laughs> that took a little thinking about, you know, what kind of, what, what would it be like in rover? But again, you know, that's the wonderful thing. I mean, Nick never, never sort of constrained. He just sort of, he wrote, 
something that I could imagine in my mind. And I suppose if I can translate that into sound, then uh, jobs are good. And one of the challenges was actually coming up with the sound for Rover. Because, of course, that was, you know, they created that like, what, 50 years ago? Something like that. And, of course, when I saw that in the script, I thought, ah, that's going to be a challenge. (laughs) Um, And you you can't lift it directly from the show. You've got to recreate it. So um, that was, yeah, my wife came in to find me blowing down, you know, like a ho- the hoover nozzle, the tube, mm. and the suction tube. She, I mean, I, I ruined our hoover. <laughs> I cut that apart, and she came in to see me with a microphone and me blowing down it. And she's like, what the hell are you doing? You know, and I said, it's not what it looks like. Um, but it... It was, and that's basically how we create recreated Rover. You get that sort of because Rover's got that very interesting sort of bass sound. And I know that they originally did that with a, an inner tube and some buckshot, and they were just like rolling it around, and then they messed around with that sound. But I thought, well, you know, I've heard that sound before, and I was thinking, where have I heard that sound? And then, of course, I woke up in the middle of the night thinking, oh, of course, it's when you blow down the Hoover and you're playing Darth Vader or something. <laughs> and so you take that bass sound, and that was just sort of then you manipulate that. And you've got something very close to the original rover. So that, that that proved to be a particular challenge. I've just given away like a huge secret there, haven't I, of how, we, how we do it. But, and, you, um, and, you, and you do realise that a lot of people are now going to go and uh, invalidate the warranties on their vacuum cleaners as well. Yeah, isn't that brilliant? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, you know, I mean, I'm sure you can find, a, a, you know, or go in, a sneak into a, like a DIY store and see if you can find a bit of, hoover tube and see whether you can sort of create the sound of rover but it's i mean it's amazing actually the sounds that they came up with for that show it's just just incredible you know i mean i take my hat off to them because they were probably using well what was state-of-the-art equipment then but we know we think of it as quite primitive now Mm. but you know what they came up with and it's only when you sit down to analyze something like rover that you start realizing oh that's oh that's clever you know it's like you know that kind of sound as as rover goes away i think it's the first it is a rival where um the guy has just been absorbed and then rover disappears and you know there's a there's a sound on there which is actually monks reversed and you think oh yeah of course now you can and once you know that and you listen to it you're like oh yes of course but you know when when it's just there and you just only subliminally taking it in i mean it's you know it's a dead spooky sound but you know rover it's a great creation that i love that love rover do you have any particular favorite episodes both of the original series and also of the big finish ones that you've worked on uh well funnily enough actually i I, from the original series i love abc i just i think it's great you know and that that uh that interplay where six is just playing with them you know he's he's like way ahead of them and so he's playing with them but it's the wonderful thing at you know the party i mean and and this is a groovy party and all of that (laughs) you know i love i love that episode and funnily enough actually um the actress who played um kate butterworth in um many happy returns crops up in abc there's a fleeting (laughs) moment where she hands over a note to six you know so he can go out and you know, get involved in more adventures. And I thought, oh, wow, that's clever. 
Um, the Girl Who Was Death, I think, as well, is another quote. It's so surreal. It's so bon- utterly bonkers. And then you've got lots of little Napoleons running around. I thought that, that was, that's, that's always a, a favourite. But, I mean, in terms of uh, the, the audio series, uh, I yeah, Living in Harmony was good. I met a man today I thought was just was beautiful. Um, I think those are my favourites. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love them all, really. I mean, it's it's like asking which one's your favourite kid, isn't it? <laughs> um, but yeah, I think ABC, I mean, I, I quite like Nick's version of ABC as well because it plays with the audience and it sort of, uh, it, it blindsides you because you think you're going to get the answers. You know, and then suddenly it's, you know, he's whipped away, you know, the, the rug again. And so you're, you know, you're about on your backside wondering where on earth it's going. So um, the Big Finish series so far has has done a mixture of uh, loose adaptations of episodes of the original and also some wholly original episodes uh, as well. Um, do you think there are any particular episodes of the original show that you would like to see adapted into a Big Finish audio drama? Uh, that's a tough one. Um Wow, that's a really good question. Um, I think the girl who was death could be an interesting one. I think that might be that might be an interesting one to see in sound. Um, I don't know actually. That's. I mean, eventually, I think I'd like to see them all done. You know, I mean, obviously, that might keep me that might keep me in a job. I don't know. If I'm lucky <laughs> enough to, to sound design box three, but yeah, I. Th- I think I'd like to. I would like to see them all done. I mean, I think some of the some of the the toughies Nick has done. I mean, like I met a man today. I mean, many happy returns. You know, it is infamous because it's you know there's there's no dialogue for the first twenty twenty five minutes, and people were saying, "How's he going to do that?" And yet, you know, he's done it uh, brilliantly. I think I'd probably be very happy just to see where he takes it. To be honest. So the. Uh... The audio dramas as well, I mean, they are the high watermark for prisoner adaptations, I think, after the original series. So have you had any interactions or thoughts on um, any of the other reimaginings or reboots in um, in book form or TV form of The Prisoner? No, do you know, I mean, you uh, you, you talk about, uh, about reboots and adaptations. I know there are some comics which are sort of floating around. Um, but I've not really had too much experience outside of the McGowan series and the one that ITV did in 2009 um, and obviously the audio version. Outside of that, I suppose I'm quite, well, I don't want to say blinkered, but I think I know what I like and I like what I know. Um, And, you know, sometimes I think, Maybe I feel it's not worth checking out those other adaptations. Maybe that's wrong. I don't know, but I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm uncommon in in that when it comes to fans. I mean, fans are notoriously loyal to the versions that they <laughs> like of things. You know, so yeah, I've maybe I should broaden my horizons. I think that's what I'm saying. So, what were your thoughts on the 2009 version? <laughs> okay. I think I must be one of the few people that, that 
sort of defends it. I mean, it was all right. I mean, okay, it's you could have had a more charismatic lead. You, I think, you miss out on the the dynamic that new number twos will bring each week. But having said that, I thought Ian McKellen did 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 a very good job. And there was there was an interesting dynamic there. There was an interesting story for him. Um, uh, you know, and there were some nice touches. I mean, that first moment where the old man comes running out and, you know, you're, you're definitely supposed to be believing that that is the original number six. Um, and it, it's it's still got some of those elements that made the original so good. Um, but, yeah, I, I think there are just those little moments, little flashes where you think, oh, wow. But, I mean, it's I suppose by the end, it's still as bonkers as, as the original ever was because you never really any the wiser as to what the hell is going on <laughs> or, you know, what that strange structure is that he goes towards. And, you know, occasionally I do look at my bookshelf where the DVD sits and thinks and think to myself, I should watch that again. And then I never do. So, <laughs> I mean, maybe that tells its own story. I don't know. But I mean, I thought it I thought it was OK. It's it's not the prisoner as we know it. But I think I think it was a brave attempt. And I think you have to you have to be brave, I think, when you're approaching these things. And sometimes they will work, sometimes they won't. I remember when um, Battlestar Galactica was being remade and people were up in arms about that. But look, I mean, that was a brilliant remake and that worked. The Prisoner, it was uh, it was a brave decision. It didn't quite come off, but it wasn't all bad, I don't think. So turning back to uh, the Big Finish series, um, are there any plans to do a third box set of episodes uh i hope so you'd have to ask <laughs> you'd have to ask nick i mean i think i think nick is i think he'd like to i think that the rest of the cast well mark really um i think he'd like to uh but i think you probably have to ask nick really um but i'm well up for it if he's listening you know <laughs> <laughs> What did you think of the 2009 version of The Prisoner? You know, it's it was an interesting attempt to try and adapt the material. But I think where I felt it didn't succeed was that it was almost trying to copy it a little bit too hard. Mm. Whereas I think um, an attempt to maybe take the central concept and do something different when it might have been more successful it felt almost like a a pale imitation of the original series and yet the bits i liked the most were the bits which were obvious callbacks to the original but it you know i did think it looked stunning i just think that in terms of execution of the story it didn't it didn't tell me anything new whereas i felt the original um prisoner that was constantly reinventing you know what it was doing with not only television, but just storytelling and the way you could play around with um, with putting, uh, you know, a normal series on primetime television. You could, you know, it was re- it was really doing exciting stuff. And I think it just didn't it didn't aim high enough in its uh, storytelling execution. But I think there are, like you said, I think there are some positive things about it. Um, but I would always obviously go back to the original series if given yeah. the choice. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? I don't know whether the I don't know whether the original series would actually get made today if somebody mm. took took an idea like that to a network. I mean, maybe Netflix or HBO or some you know some of the streaming 
channels now because I think they're they're willing to take more risks. But if you took it to ITV or the BBC now, I think they might they might sort of go, well, that's a bit weird, isn't it? I don't <laughs> it's funny, but I am currently in the process of actually watching the 2009 series for the first time. I'm part way through. I didn't watch it at the time because I I just felt like. I didn't need to. I I don't know why there was. I just felt like I, I knew it had been made. I knew it was on. I just had no particular desire to watch it. Um, so it's actually quite interesting watching it now. I'm about halfway through. By the time this episode goes out, I will have finished watching it because <laughs> we're getting through about an episode or two a night. Um, so you're having to watch it again. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 I wait. <laughs> I am part way through now and it's a really strange experience um as you say it looks beautiful I don't for the life of me understand why Jim Caviezel was cast he just he yeah it's to me that seems like the biggest flaw is that you have an incredibly dull number six um whereas you know Patrick McGowan was able to make even the most simple line of dialogue seem filled with meaning and nuance and I'm I am kind of enjoying it in the sense of experiencing something for the first time I I think it does look beautiful Um, I think the the art direction the cinematography are really stunning it is I think suffering from slightly dodgy casting particularly in the lead role and I, I do understand, you know, it was American money and it was going to be on American primetime TV. So you cast a relatively well-known American actor in it. But I think there had to be someone a bit more interesting, maybe. Um, the, the weird thing is that I'm seeing in it not just influences of The Prisoner, but also quite a lot of influences of Lost. And given that it was made in 2009 and it would have been coming off the years when Lost was kind of really successful in the mid-noughties... Um, even just some of the shots, like the opening shot where he's he's lying on the ground and the camera zoomed in on his eye and he opens his eyes. I'm, I think that's how that's almost like the opening shot of Lost, and some of, and some of the weirdness of it. And I just think it could have it could have ditched the Lost and kept the prisoner in some way. It it, it felt almost like it was too beholden to not just the original series, but also some of the big successful kind of genre shows that have been out in the decade before it was made. Um, you know, Lost was great fun, but I don't think anyone's going to have a festival to celebrate its 50th anniversary. <laughs> that would be no, no. I think also there's one, maybe maybe the prisoner is too quintessentially British to translate um, successfully, because the one thing I know about, you know, Nick, Nick's versions, it's very British, you know, it's, you know, and that, when he had uh, like a moment of sound design direction was like an old fashioned, you know, a milk float. And I thought, oh, wow. You know, of course, I mean, I hadn't heard a milk float in ages and um, tracking down an, an actual milk float was incredibly difficult to do. <laughs> but, you know, it's things like that that don't sort of crop up in in the 2009 version. And it's like the mundanity of British life can be quite sinister when you take it out and put it, you know, into a, you know, a different context like the village. But yeah, it's an interesting point about Lost. I really didn't get on with Lost at all. 
I didn't give a monkeys about the characters and their backstory. I just wanted to know about this this strange island. Um, and that's probably what McGowan did very, very well. You know, you don't really need to know about Six's backstory. No. You just need to, you know, you know he's a secret agent. And that opening sequence sets it up so well. You know, you've got that whole story in like a minute, you know, of, of what his life was. But it's just that exploring, isn't it, of... Of the village, but that's a really uh, you're making me want to go and watch it now. <laughs> <laughs> Reach for the DVD on your shelf. <laughs> I know is that a good thing or not? I don't know. I don't know. But also, I think it's interesting because the point you made about Jim Caviezel is kind of, I think it relates quite well to what's worked very well in the Big Finish series, which is Mark Elstob's performance, which is, you know, it is a wonderful. Number six. It's not exactly the same as Patrick McGowan, but it's like a perfect reimagining of that character that feels completely in keeping with it. It doesn't seem odd to have him playing number six. It feels like he's almost been. It feels like he's always been number six in a strange kind of way. Um, yeah, um, it's a yeah. great performance, but it just you know it just feels like the prisoner, it, which is something which I think you know the two thousand nine show just didn't always have. Yeah. That, yeah, that's true. I mean, I mean for me, um, and for Kenny, my, my wife, she'd never seen The Prisoner. So showing it to her, she was like, kind of, wow, this is amazing. And, you know, when she listens to Mark, I mean, both her and I, you know, we, we really sort of feel that Mark is is number six. I mean, you can sometimes hear us around the supermarket when something takes us by surprise going, what? You know, sort of mimicking, mimicking Mark. But it's just, you know, it's just one of those those moments, you know, that you sort of, you can strongly identify with, you know. And uh, that's an interesting point about the 2009 version, that it's not really six, is it? You know, and I think maybe that is the central problem. You put your finger right on it, you know, that he's not six, you know. Um, and I think you need to have somebody who's close, but not too close, if you see what I mean. It's like, I go back to Battlestar Galactica and Starbuck, um, the female equivalent of Starbuck in, in that it, she's close enough to Dirk Benedict, but not quite. So it works, you know, you, mm-hmm. you know, you've got something that you can identify with there, I think. But yeah, you have to check out the comics as well, because, you know, that's something I've not investigated. Yeah. yeah what, uh, what do you think of the comics are they any good should i check them out yeah so um there was well the one that we've read is one called shattered visage that came out many many years ago and that's kind of an interesting take on the prisoner it sort of directly sequelizes the show um it's a very unusual take on the mythology because it's i think to me what i found a bit strange was it starts to provide answers to some of the mysteries that I think were deliberately kept quite obscure in the uh, in the original TV show. The artwork is really good. Um, it's an interesting take on the material. Um, it's nice. It's like a self-contained volume. I think it originally ran for three issues and it's collected as a trade paperback somewhere. But um, yeah, it's kind of worth a read, but it's still not the same. It's still not The Prisoner, but it kind of, you know, at least it comes close to being a valiant attempt at, uh, at trying to evoke the same feeling even though the minute you realize that they're trying to provide you know the answers to things that's not the thing you want you know it was almost nice to be as as befuddled as number six was and slowly eking out bits of information but every time he thought he found something out the game would change 
and uh, it became a whole different mystery. Yeah, I think that's that's a very good point, actually. I don't think you want the answers, do you? I think, I mean, there are some things in life that should remain a mystery. And I think the village and some of the stuff that goes on there, that should be maybe one of them. Um, that's why I like what Nick did with his version of, of ABC or Project 6, as, as it is. Um, because you're completely blindsided. You think you're going to get the answer, yeah. and then you don't. <laughs> and, that's, and that's, you know, that's that's good. I mean, I like the way that that plays around. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'm waffling again. Sorry. <laughs> Tell me to stop. <laughs> we could talk about Prisoner for, well, for ages. And, and indeed we have over the last week. <laughs> we will continue to do so for a long time to come. So thank you so much, Ian, for joining us. It's been great talking to you about The Prisoner. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. We're you know, huge fans of the Big Finish productions. Um, we highly recommend them. So it's, it's been great finding out a little bit more about how they were done. I'm now going to think about that vacuum cleaner every time I hear over on the, on the CD. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoy the upcoming 50th anniversary celebrations. And we'll sign off in the only way we can for a Prisoner podcast by saying, be seeing you. Be seeing you. <laughs> So that's it for our Big Finish, the Prisoner Audio Drama special episode. Uh, We hope you enjoyed the interviews with Nick and Ian. Uh, We certainly really enjoy chatting to both of them. Yeah, and we said this at the beginning of the episode, but we really think they're worth seeking out if you're a fan of the Prisoner. I mean, I can imagine people are going to have very different responses to them. I mean, if if you hold the original series really dearly, as a lot of people do, I think these are worth looking into. Um, and I think you might find that you do like them. And I think everyone who has listened to them has had a yeah, a positive response to them, which has been really good. They're you know, they're very well made. They're great additions to the prisoner itself. And uh we strongly recommend you seek them out. And if you go to our website uh after listening to this podcast, then you can find some links to direct you to where you might be able to find them. Yes, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter at TFCAA, on Facebook, on the page Time for Cakes and Ale, or on our website, timeforcakesandale.com. Yeah, and all we have to say is, you know, hope everyone's enjoying our episodes being put out for the 50th anniversary of The Prisoner. The tally-ho will continue for the next few days with some really cool interviews lined up. In our next episode, which will be out tomorrow, Uh, We'll be talking to Robert Fairclough, who has produced some of the official prisoner guides. So he wrote both the companion guide and also the two prisoner script books, which came out several years ago. And he's a real authority on the prisoner. And it was great to talk to him. So that episode will be out tomorrow. Yeah. So hopefully you can join us then. And do drop us a message to tell us what you think of these podcasts. If you have any ideas about what you'd like to see in our series, which is starting early next year where we're going to be going episode by episode just drop us a line really fun to get in touch and connect with all the prisoner fans out there but for now be be seeing seeing you. you